0: Welcome back to the Normalized Breastfeeding Podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Simmons, and I'm excited to share with you our special guest feature for today. Before we get into it, I'd like for you to click that subscribe button below, share this video or podcast, and be sure to follow us on social media. All right, let's go. Welcome back. We are live with our guest Zainab Yate. Zainab is the author of the resource site breastfeedingaversion.com. She has been a breastfeeding peer supporter for the NHS for a number of years. She actively supports mothers and families who struggle with aversion and campaigns to raise awareness of the phenomenon. In her professional capacity, she is a biomedical ethicist Vice Chair of a Research Ethics Committee Panel for the Health Research Authority, and a member of King's College London Ethics and Policy Governance Board. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Thanks for inviting me to talk about aversion.
0: Yes, we're happy to have you. This is the official Normalized Breastfeeding Podcast, where we'll be discussing breastfeeding experiences, Education, activism, advocacy, and all of all the things inside of the infant feeding community. So, today we're recording live with Zainab Yate, live from the boob hive in London, all the way from the UK. <laughs> <We're>
1: freezing cold.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. So, this is episode 23 Breastfeeding Aversion and Symptoms of Agitation. If you're interested in being a featured guest or a sponsor, listen until the end for more information about how to get in touch. So let's get into it, Zainab. I have some pretty good questions for you today. (laughs) So I'm interested, you know, how did this particular topic under the umbrella of breastfeeding spark your passion?
1: because I struggled with it myself and I I didn't understand why um, and I couldn't find out why um, and nobody could have uh, nobody answered my questions they didn't really have the answers to 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 why it was happening Um, so that's really where I am where I am now is because of that six years ago really it started with my firstborn um And I had it also with my second. So uh, when breastfeeding triggers emotions was something that just wasn't really spoken about or understood, and in many ways isn't now. But at least more people are aware of it. So it's um, yeah. I suppose you could call it a passion. (laughs) I actually started doing. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually passionate about um. My PhD and my ethics-related research in, in my PhD, but I actually stopped that because of all of this. <laughs> I started writing and researching about this more, and I just I, I withdrew from my PhD last year. So it's really funny you should say passion.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder, you know, what did the term breastfeeding aversion, where did it, when did it come into play, like in existence among infant feeding professionals? I know you said that you struggled with it six years ago. Um, was that around the time that professionals started to recognize that this was something real?
1: Mm, no, I don't think... I don't, think, I don't think so. I mean, it was known amongst the professionals in the infant feeding community in the sense that many people knew um, aversion could happen when you were tandem feeding, like uh, when pregnant or feeding a toddler and a newborn. Um, and in terms of the literature, there are literally a handful. So Hilary Flowers mentions... Uh, breastfeeding agitation and but some people called it nursing aversion in her book which was published by the La Leche League so you know the La Leche League community around the world those of them who tandem fed would have known about it and obviously they they are um mother supporters but they're also breastfeeding counselors and IBCLCs and professionals in their own right across the world so um yeah, I think they would have known about it in the infant feeding community, but certainly not uh, medical doctors or health visitors like you have here in the UK or midwives. Um, it it's not very well known. Um, in fact, it, it didn't didn't really get much attention. I suppose, yeah. I'm not sure how much it's getting now but
0: <laughs> more than the past much more than in the past I'm sure yeah I'm sure
1: yeah at some yeah. point in time
0: people probably related it more to like postpartum depression or something along the lines of like it's not the breastfeeding it's something else you know
1: yeah definitely well definitely that's that's hopefully where i'm where i'm going to try and go like some some of it is directly related to breastfeeding other times it's not other times it's a combination of both um but yeah 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 it's funny you should say about post postnatal depression cuz it it overlaps a lot with the ter- with the negative feelings um you know like anger and low mood and agitation that can be found in people with depression and also with postnatal depression so it does overlap um but there are many women who have a version and who who aren't depressed um and so there's quite a few unanswered questions there so yeah that's why i i wrote a paper i published a paper about it two or three years ago um And I just described the phenomenon as a phenomenon because it allowed scope to include things like this, you know, like overlap with depression and possible causes to do with anatomy or biology or things like that.
0: Definitely. And you talked a little bit about, you know, your PhD kind of leading into you campaigning for this specific cause and terminology. Um, Were there any other reasons why you just kind of felt the need to start um was there something specific that kind of pushed you over the edge and you just said okay i'm creating a social media platform for this because it's enough enough is enough you know
1: um yeah actually because i tried to speak to some people in the field about it and it wasn't really acknowledged Um, without anything published it's not recognized and I became a little bit disheartened and frustrated because firstly, like I said, um, nobody was able to answer the questions I had about why I was feeling like this. But secondly, because um, other women I I know had mentioned it and it just felt like um, it was being shut down.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> wasn't acknowledged in terms of it, it existing in, the, in a sense and then thirdly because like you I initially thought it would have been postnatal depression but I was you know I reached out to my what they call here a GP a local doctor general practitioner okay. and I explained how I felt and, you know, they assessed me, clin- clinically assessed me for postnatal depression. I, there was screening and assessment and I wasn't postnatally depressed. So yeah. I was a bit, um, you know, I was relieved, but at the same time, I still had more answers. And then I started supporting mothers with breastfeeding difficulties in general, just as a peer supporter. Um, and even in the infant feeding community, it was very difficult. Difficult to talk about it without being—I uh, don't know how to say it—diplomatically. Maybe it's shut down. Right. <laughs> so you know, we have one of the worst breastfeeding rates in the world. Actually, it's less than one yeah. percent exclusively breastfeed yeah. in this country. So, looking back, I understand the position of infant feeding institutions that wanted to protect
0: right.
1: the the positive and important important aspects of breastfeeding. But it was just hard because like many, many thousands of other women, um, we are breastfeeding mothers who experience aversion, if that makes sense. So we're, 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 we're breastfeeding mothers. You know, we're, we're not people who didn't try. We're not people who don't breastfeed. We're not people who don't. You know, don't want to breastfeed with people who are breastfeeding, who want to breastfeed, and, and I, who live by it. You know, right, <laughs> so right. I think I got really, really annoyed, and then I just thought, oh, I don't have the time to to do anything, and um, that's where I started doing online work uh, because it just felt like the natural step to um. Raise raise awareness of it.
0: Well, and it seems like they were trying to protect the good of breastfeeding at the detriment of the people who they were trying to protect. <laughs> yeah Yeah. it's it's a little bit strange but yes things like that happen here in the United States as well however we have seen a huge boom in breastfeeding over the last I want to say 10 to 15 years um Mm. and especially since the 70s like I think we I can't remember the specific um statistic but i know that we have gone from like let's say 53 percent of exclusive breastfeeding to like 84 percent now or something like something crazy like that. Wow. so definitely more that is absolutely- happen in the uk for sure for sure
1: yeah yeah and i'm fully committed to that i was fully part of that movement um as much as my energy could allow me. There's so many amazing women in this country who dedicate all their time and energy to improving breastfeeding rates. It's, um, you know, really they give their blood, sweat, and tears, I've seen it. I I, I know that uh, I worked with some amazing women who wrote the, the WBTI report, the World Breastfeeding Trends Initiative report in the UK. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like a three or four year project and they you know, launched it in parliament and they're striving to make strategies better to improve breastfeeding. So I understand. I understand. But then there needs to be a voice for the people who struggle (laughs) as well (laughs) and hate it and and really can't stand breastfeeding and just.
0: (laughs) And I mean, if we talk about breastfeeding from a cultural perspective, like. It's not something that we grow up seeing be done if we grow up seeing it be done around us and seeing the positives of it even if there's some negatives right we have the opportunity to develop to develop a perspective about it that is not just yeah. I am this baby's slave I am this baby's you know uh, yeah. milkmaid I have to sit here every you know 20 minutes and give the breast I mean that can, be daunting Mm -hmm. to a culture that says that you can have someone else feed your baby whenever and that you can sleep whenever Mm -hmm. right so then when you kind of Mm -hmm. kind of apply that cultural um, perspective you kind of see that we've we've kind of raised young women to believe that it's not the norm right so then when they tell you to breastfeed you're like wait yeah. what <laughs> I had no idea that was part yeah. of this plan you know so I completely understand
1: Completely. I've got a huge smile on my face because you just hit the nail on the head oh, wonderful. you hit the nail on the head yeah it's not you know it's not just in a silo it's all the society around it and essentially an expectation and your expectations about what the journey will be like and your expectations about what the experience will be like and your expectations because of what you've been fed that are telling you how easy breastfeeding is because it's really you know it's kind of idealized in all these imagery yes. and the reality of it like like the reality of anything you know like the reality of marriage or the reality of a promotion with the job position you always wanted right. or the reality of you know, almost anything. It's a lot more harder than you expect, right. but I just think it's not, you know, we we didn't have it in our education system. I, I never knew anything about lactation or breastfeeding until the day after my son was born essentially
0: exactly (laughs) it seems ridiculous yeah you should be told about it before most definitely in in australia and just shout out to anybody who may be listening from australia you are in our prayers we cannot believe how how crazy these fires have been um But in Australia, I've heard that in the indigenous communities, uh, the aborigine communities, that they would give the young girls as young as eight years old. And I mean, obviously, we've seen now on Instagram that they do it much younger, but they'll give them a doll and the, the girls will pretend like they're nursing their babies. And this is just a simple way to impact and educate young girls who are growing up who will one day possibly have children and if they do they'll have this memory that was not negative a memory that is their own um and a memory that they actually applied that holding of the baby to their breast and so it kind of makes you know it might be going to their subconscious and maybe they'll forget about it by the time that they're older but they might not shrug against it and say oh i don't know if i can do this you know um, yeah. their mentality from a very young age so
1: yeah it's a it would be a very powerful inception very nice. <laughs> it, it, it's known it's it's been shown to work in other areas of healthcare and things like that this kind of early on inception idea that it's part of part of normal life in a sense
0: yes and I think that we see it now on we see it daily really on on Instagram you'll see you know a woman who's been breastfeeding her baby and her older toddler now has their baby doll to their chest why because they see that that's Mm -hmm. how you feed a baby you know and and that is truly normalizing breastfeeding for the next generation is really taking the time to just say yeah you can nurse your baby too oh, you want to feed your baby? And sometimes they'll hand the, you know, the doll to the mom and say, well, you've got the milk, you know, you feed the baby. (laughs) But I mean, it's all, it's all a really great, you know, opportunity to explore the idea at a much younger age. And I think it leaves um, people, um, because it's young girls and boys now that are doing this, it allows them to have, um, you know, ideas That are more broad than than what they would normally learn at that age, which is you know the baby comes with a bottle, it's included. Most packaging has a a bottle included, you know. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, okay, let's dive in really quickly. What are the symptoms of aversion? What can a mother know? Like, what can she say? Okay, I have this, and this is pointing me toward I'm having symptoms of aversion.
1: Um well you've got some main ones would be the negative emotions like anger and agitation, irritation, and even rage when the baby or the child or the toddler is latched.
0: Right.
1: Um uh, very common to have skin itching or skin crawling sensations mm. like little ants or little creepy crawlies under your skin. Mm. Um and some intrusive thoughts um around the same time being latched things like wanting to an urge to delatch an overwhelming urge to delatch your your nursling Mm. and take them off um or to push them off you um or to run away like uh literally just leave them doesn't matter if it's three in the morning or whatever um and uh, generally, tend to disappear once you delatch, um, or when the feeding it finishes, the nursing, the breastfeeding session ends. So, mm. um, those are the main ones. There's a spectrum, but those are the main ones, and it can cross over with dys- dysphoric milk, milk ejection reflex, and like you said, it could cross over with depression. But you know, if you're generally okay in other parts of your life, um, and, and you know things are manageable, and you're not feeling very hopeless for long periods of time, but but you get very, very irritated and and angry um, when latching your nursling or your toddler, then that's going to be a primary symptom of aversion. Right. Uh, The fact that it happens when they're latched and goes away when they're not latched.
0: So are there any differences (laughs) in symptoms of agitation? Do they vary from those of aversion or is it kind of all in the same pot?
1: um it's all in the same pot really it's um so some women can differentiate between the kind of um feelings of aversion that they get um during their menses or when they ovulate and the kind of symptoms they get when they you know they've got a deadline for work tomorrow or they've got a paper due and you know they need to be working on their their paper for school or something but they they're stuck doing a 3 hour boob to sleep you you can kind of tell the the levels of irritation about being stuck in a room in the dark when you've when you've got um, an impending deadline is a is a different thing to perhaps a biological cause for your aversion which can be related to your hormones like your, your menstruation or your ovulation
0: yeah.
1: but but generally the yeah generally they're yeah they're, they can be the same um and that's because, you know, that's because these kind of negative feelings, they're the end result of other things. Do you see what I mean? That's why why it's quite similar. So the underlying reason could be different because we're all very different people with different sets of family circumstances and stresses on our lives. Right. Um, but in the end, we're all human and mothers who are exhausted or tired or pulled in 50 different directions you know, it's, it's going to come out in a similar way, Definitely, <laughs> just on a survival mode, <laughs> just definitely. being frustrated.
0: Yeah. When I can, I can relate to the, the PMS symptoms and how, when I experienced aversion with my last child, um, it definitely felt very much like that. Uh, so that's very interesting that you say that. I, I want to know what, mm. at what point in one's breastfeeding journey would a mother be most likely to experience aversion? Like, is this something that you guys have witnessed is happening with new mothers, like newborns, or is this something that really happens when you get into like, you know, toddler and child breastfeeding?
1: Well, traditionally it was considered to be only something that occurred. Like I mentioned in tandem feeding, ah, okay. um, and also there's a paper from years ago, I mean, maybe 30 odd years ago, that posited um, these kind of feelings could be a a natural biological trigger to wean. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we were going to consider it as that, then it would make no sense for a baby under six months or for a newborn to wean because, you know, historically or in in the sense of, human existence that would mean the death of the baby moreover so um however saying that i have personally um experienced it with what would be considered a a very small baby so three months three and a half months and i'm not the only one there's quite a few in the aversion support groups experience it um Uh, just with a newborn um, right from the Mm get-go and there are a few reasons for that but in terms of numbers it's really hard because there's no data so I can't tell you of the prevalence of aversion amongst the breastfeeding population around the world so I can't tell you out of 100,000 women you know 500 would get aversion right so so, I, out of those 500 that, of, that would get a version, I can't tell you, you know, 10, 10 would get it with a newborn, but 90% will get it with older nurslings. Right. However, it seems to be a lot more prevalent in older, older nurslings. And again, I, can, I understand that from my research because the, the causes, the causation is different. So, it's more likely with an older nursling for a lot more predominant reasons. Whereas with a newborn, I think there are very specific reasons a mother may get it, um, but I'm not a clinician, so I can't really <laughs> I can't really state that yet. I mean, maybe when my book is published, I'll be more of an authority on it. And but, for example, it, a very clear indication would be a survivor of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. So she's a survivor, then they're well known to initiate breastfeeding and want to breastfeed and often do actually establish. Um, a breastfeeding relationship however they also do struggle with um, being triggered right. so um, for me at least from the mothers I've helped I can see that uh, relationship ab- abuse um, prior or existing can be a factor in getting aversion with a newborn does, does that make sense right. so, so yeah it happens yeah it happens basically
0: definitely i have another question this is my final question too um where can where can mothers find support for these emotional mood swings obviously we don't have any specific place other than your resource and your website I don't know if you're taking personal clients, but who would you suggest that they speak to when they're feeling these types of emotions, Um, their primary care doctor, or like you said, their general physician, Um, is that the the best resource for them? Or is there, are you saying that there's like a Facebook group maybe that they can uh, try and get more information about this?
1: Um, Yeah, that's all of the above. I mean, I, I cover it a lot in my in my book because there are two really important things about going to healthcare professionals. The first is, um, you know, non-disclosure, and a lot of women don't disclose that they get these feelings, and I would urge you to disclose them. Mm. Um, I have ri- written quite a few posts on the like um, resource website, which are, you know, it's just free to to print or read which give you the words to just describe what's happening to you. So it's not, when you have the words to describe what's happening to you, you can kind of say it in a non-alarmist way, if that makes sense. So I urge you to disclose, um, ideally to someone who's trustworthy and supportive. So it could be a partner, although partners are not always helpful because they often think it's very odd. Uh, for women to experience negative emotions when breastfeeding but that's again because they've been kind of uh, subjected to the same propaganda we have (laughs) that breastfeeding is all butterflies and unicorns Um, but someone you trust because secrecy never makes anything better Um, and secondly to healthcare professionals the other thing is just misdiagnosis so uh, you don't want to disclose this and then get Lumped into the category of postnatal depression without proper assessment, because if they give you SSRIs, um, these kind of antidepressants, um, and they don't work, then you're going to be back to square one, and well, possibly even worse off. So if the, you know, if you're not depressed and you're taking antidepressants, that's the problem. But definitely go to healthcare professional to disclose it. Um, if you can get to any kind of um, breastfeeding group, a lot of breastfeeding counsellors and IBCLCs know about negative feelings being triggered mm-hmm. by um, breastfeeding now because we have um, D- DM- DMER we have dysphoric milk ejection reflex and we've got aversion and we also have things that we understand about different cohorts of women who struggle um, with breastfeeding so they're the specialists if you can get A lecture league group, but the easiest and quickest way is definitely a Facebook support group or um, sharing and reading the online posts from women. We have a good community on Instagram who are really supportive and really vocal about their challenges with aversion. And um, yeah, there's a couple of um, nursing aversion support groups on Facebook. So. And they're really active and in my one I try and do lives um, just to answer questions and I post about different literature I've read that might help. So sometimes just knowing what a version is, knowing it has a name, knowing you're not the only one, knowing you're not a monster is enough. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all of the things you said I think would be good to try.
0: Well, listen, I truly appreciate your um, you taking the time to chat with me today. Do you have, I know you said you have an upcoming book. Do you want to plug your book? Is it already kind of, you've got a title and you're ready to announce? I'm hoping.
1: Um, I have a title, but I, I have three, well, I have two offers and one um, waiting on one literary agent. So Wonderful. I'm just torn between... Who to take? Yeah, so it, it I mean, I'll sign a contract. I just have to choose which one's going to be best for the the. Course. Right. So yeah, I'll let you know as soon as it's it's out. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's really good. I don't don't know what it's called yet. That's
0: okay. <laughs> so let's shout out your social media. It's breastfeeding aversion on Instagram. Do you have a different um name for your group on Facebook or for your Facebook
1: page? Um, the Facebook page, I think it's breastfeeding aversion and agitation awareness, okay. but really anything with the the hashtag aversion sucks. The, the, the group is joined to the page, so it's called aversion sucks. Awesome. But there are quite a few, yeah, there are quite a few nursing aversion groups, so really just find what works. And um, yeah, know that it won't last and that you'll still find find some peace in your relationship with your with your nursling after it 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 leaves you just i just want to send a little bit of hope out there for for moms that are struggling right now
0: yes yeah thank you so much and i appreciate it so much um and I no worries. Have you Thank you for giving again. the platform. <laughs> of course. I hope to have you Thank on again you. after your book is released. We can talk to moms more about this and keep this conversation going. It's definitely one that uh, that needs to be continued.
1: Oh, I really would appreciate that. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Thank you so
0: much. A lot. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Vanessa Simmons, and I'm your host of the Normalized Breastfeeding Podcast. We're looking forward to hearing your story and featuring you on this platform. Send us a message if you'd like to be featured or email me directly at vanessa at normalizedbreastfeeding.org.